Today in 1 John, we're going to be looking at chapter 4. We've been in a little series here in 1 John. Um, I love 1 John because it's a short book and it's easy to just dive through it. And so I recommend to you, if you're driving in the car uh, and you have a little Bible, there's tons of Bible apps. I like the Crossway ESV app, Crossway Bible. You can, they're the publisher of the English Standard Version, ESV. That's one I recommend. They have two different uh, people who read it to you. And you can hit a little button and it'll scroll and it like the text keeps up with it and it'll just read the whole Bible to you. You can even change it and make it fast or slow or whatever you want to do. It's saying technology, pretty cool. So uh, I recommend to you though, read through 1 John in your devotion and let this word of God soak into you. And you can do that by hearing it, which is wonderful, in the car as you drive or as you take a walk or whatever. Also reading it, wonderful. Also reading it to each other. Also sending a note to each other to encourage each other and just Take a verse out of 1 John. Throw it on there. I want to encourage you with the word of God. Wouldn't that pick you up if you got that during the week? It would be good, wouldn't it? Even a text message? It'd be good, wouldn't it? We're living in a time where people are more isolated than ever and more attached than ever in the weirdest way. So we have all this connectivity and all this technology, and yet people prefer to be on their own. Did you know that what's on Facebook is not true or real? <laughs> Weird, huh? Did you know that Twitter and Snapchat and Instagram, people take 10 pictures before they pick that one that looks the best to post. It's not real life. And we start to measure real life through that. Well, we're coming to 1 John where God is going to show us real life. And we're going to look at some great realities. I want to start with something that I do in uh, premarital counseling. I've had the pleasure of marrying several people, officiating the marriages of several people. It's been awesome and it's a joy. It is... Um, the first time I did a wedding, I was not prepared for the spiritual reality of God doing something in the ceremony. So we see it all the time. I've been in a lot of weddings, right? So you're in the wedding, dearly beloved, you hear all this stuff, walk down the aisle, that's nice, okay? But something happens. There, there's, the Lord does something. Jesus said it this way, what God has joined together, let not man separate. God joins people together. A man and a woman in marriage, it's powerful. I was not prepared the first time. Preached a little message. I'm going through the vows, and I, could, I felt the, the Spirit of God doing something here. And the people, everybody's oblivious. Oh, it's a pretty dress. And that's all everybody sees, the, the glitz and the glamour of it. But God does something. So premarital counseling is just a time to sit down and look at what does the Bible say about marriage because most, especially young people, and I was a young person, so I can say this with authority, are dumb. <laughs> So, so they think this is going to be great, and I know, I know exactly what to do and how marriage is going to work, and then you open the Bible and help them because um, it never is as easy as you think it's going to be. But one of my favorite things to do in premarital counseling is, um, I, and I'm, I'm ruining this if, if I ever do a wedding for somebody, but um, I'll sit down and one of the very first things I'll say in the very first session is uh, to the two of them together, I'll say, the female, whoever she is, let's, I'm just going to give her the name Laura, I don't know. Let's, let's call her Barbie, right? I'll say, I'll say, your betrothed Barbie is a baby-making machine. And they always look at me like, I don't know if I should be offended or good or what, what are you talking about? And I'll say this, ladies, God made man in his image and women in his image. And he made man from the dust, but he made ladies from the rib. He took special care to do a surgery to make her. 
the creation was not complete, was not very good without woman. Christianity teaches a value of women that no other religion in the world does, does not. Because, Paul said it this way, the mystery of how God loves his people, the church, is found in marriage. God gave us marriage to be the demonstration of God's love for his people. Peter said it this way, husbands, if you don't live with your wives in an understanding way, God will not listen to your prayers. God cares for people, men and women, but he cares for wives so much that he will hinder your prayers if you do not live with your wife in an understanding way. That's a big deal. That's a really big deal. And so here we are, I'm talking to this young couple and I'm telling them, this woman that God's given you, she's a baby making machine because the biology, biology behind it, it, I mean, praise the Lord, it's incredible. The fact that a woman can have a baby formed in her, knit together by God in her womb, carry that baby, birth that baby, which that's wild. I can tell you stories, but I will not. <laughs> See, Lisa's in the nursery, so I can just, it's dangerous. No, I'm not gonna do it, I'm not gonna do it. She had four home births with midwives. Anyway, okay, see, I'm not going to do it. But that's amazing. Then nurture and feed and raise that baby. Wow, that's incredible. I mean, that's amazing. But here's the spiritual reality, too. Women have a unique ability that's different than men, that whatever seed goes into them spiritually, it will grow. Here's a great example. Um, you go to work. The husband goes to work and has the boss say something really harsh to him. And the boss is like, man, you're ruining everything. I, I should never have hired you, you're, you're a loser. And he comes home and he's like, babe, this company's against me. This boss is the worst boss I've ever had. What the heck? I can't believe it. Next day, husband goes back to work. Boss comes in, dude, I'm really sorry. I fell off the handle. I said it wrong. Please forgive me. I'm really glad we hired you. Shouldn't have said that. I had a really bad day. I'm quitting smoking, it's not going well, and I was wrong, can we hug it out? And the guy's like, yes we can, don't ever talk to me like that again. And you're like, all right, and so they hug it out and then they're okay. Well, you don't tell your wife that. So four months later, you're at the Christmas party, and you walk into the Christmas party, and you're like, hey honey, these are all, the, everybody, and she sees that boss, and suddenly this thing comes out of her, and she's like, I will rip his head off. I, this company's against you, everything. I'm here to make things right. And you're like, why are you so upset? What is happening? Because you never told her everything's fine now. And so inside her, the seed has grown into, I'm gonna defend this, I'm gonna fight for this, I'm gonna do this. Am I wrong? And here's the guy, what's happening? I don't understand anything. This is, and this is what happens to us a lot. And so here's this incredible thing that God has given us in the wonderful differences that God has made spiritually between men and women to reflect his kingdom. Here we are in 1 John. Keep that in mind as we look at this. 1 John chapter 4, we're going to start at verse 7. Here's what it says. John says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. For whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this love, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, 
but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him, and He in God. And so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in Him. By this, is love, is, by this love is perfected in us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as He is also, so are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, but he hates his brother, he's a liar. And he does not love his, for he does not love his brother whom he has seen. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Praise the Lord for his word. A lot of love there, right? Here's a mystery. God said in Genesis, we touched on this last week a little bit, but God said in Genesis, when he first formed man and woman, he said, it's not good the man be alone, forms the woman, brings them to each other. The man says, alas, this is flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. This is the one I've been waiting for. And it's this cool little exchange. And then God says, for this reason, the man will leave his parents' house, the woman will leave her parents' house, and they will come together. Do you know what that, remember that, how that goes? Cleave. Cleave. They will cleave together and become one flesh, right? That word cleave in the original Hebrew is a good word for that. It's a weird word, though. We don't use that a lot, right? What does it mean? Join together, stick together, knit together, and to become one flesh. The word in Greek, so what happened was the Old Testament actually got translated into the Greek language from Hebrew, and John would have known about this because this is the common language of the time. This is the language, Greek, that he wrote this book in, that this letter in. And so in writing this, that original language, that word, they will leave their households and they will cleave together. In the Greek is the word abide. They will abide together. And John, talking about love, is an interesting What's the great demonstration of human love that we have? It's marriage, right? And John is using the same word that's found in that passage in the Greek to say, abide in God. The relationship that we're supposed to have with God is like a marriage. It's knowing him. It's being close to him. Now, it's even more than that, which we'll talk about in a second. But there's this incredible reality that God has given us in 1 John that we see that the relationship that we should have is abiding with God as you would abide with a spouse. And ready? Leaving the world behind, you will cleave only to him. That's our calling. That's what the church is supposed to do. We're described as the bride of Christ. In verse 7, John tells us here that we must have love because love is from God. Then he tells us in verse 8 that God is love. Now, some people have taken this too far to say that God is only love. And that's not true. That's not what John is saying. It's not that God is only love and that's all he is and all he ever does. God is also, what are some things? Oh, first of all, sorry. Turn to the people next to you and say, the Lord is with you. 
now say you can actually answer questions. Why do we do that? I want us to understand. I want us to understand. If we don't understand, we're, we're, lo we're losing out, right? Let's be honest. You can hear sermons all day long on the internet and not understand. Let's come to church and understand and stand in the word of God together and know it. Amen? Amen. All right. So I forgot my question now. <laughs> not only love. Yeah, God's not only love. What are the things, is he? Yeah, Maureen. He's just. He is just. Yeah. He's passionate. And not a man, though. He's not fickle like a man who changes. Right? But he is passionate. Yeah. He's all, no, he knows everything. Yeah, he's omniscient is the funny word for that. Yeah, Roy. He is righteous. Yeah, Michael. He's generous. He is generous. His reign falls on the just and the unjust. He's really kind. What's that? He does have wrath. That's true. He is ho What does holy mean? He's separate from us. He's set apart. He's not the same as us. You can't just walk in yourself with nothing, right? I like to think about um, if you go to a hospital, there are set-apart areas of the hospital. So if you go to the hospital, you're like, I want to see what brain surgery is. You don't just get to walk in there, right? You have to go through procedures and process because that's a special set-apart area for special things. The Lord is, is even more than that. It's this, this illustration, it pales in comparison because literally people walked into his presence and died because he's so holy, he's so good, he's so separate, he's so, he is God. And this reminds us all the time, we are not. And that's important because he gets to choose if he's God and the creator and the owner of all things, he gets to choose the standards by which we live and we do not because he's holy and we are not. Um, okay, what other things? He's sovereign, he's, he's in charge of everything, yeah. He is just, so he doesn't just let sin pass. Let me ask you a question. Uh, think about this for a second. So somebody is a guy, professional guy, um, has trouble with drinking, okay, let's say. And so he goes to work, comes home from work. Uh, on his way, he stops at the bar, drinks a little too much, and gets his fifth DUI, okay, fifth time. But, you know, he's got a big business in the, in the area, and the judge decides, like, he really looks sad. And so the judge says, you know what, I, I'm going to give you mercy, okay? Don't worry, you know, let's, let's get in a program. So worry about it. It's not don't worry about it. Get in a program, have some accountability from your family with the work, uh, all this kind of stuff. We need, you know, let's do right, but I'm not going to take away your license at this time. The guy, wow, thank you. Well, to celebrate, he goes to a bar. And from the bar, he stays there until late, and he gets in his car, and he starts driving home, and he's by the hospital, and a nurse is getting off work. And she gets in her car and starts driving, and he just plows into her, kills her. Where's the justice? Who is responsible? It's the judge, right? And the guy. Now, here's the challenge. Our God is just. And that little story, I'm telling you that because a lot of times we want to say, oh, God, he's, so, he's all love. He's, he gives everybody second chances for everything all the time. It doesn't matter. You know, and there's, eh, he'll surround him with good people and it'll be fine. But then you hear the story in the end and what happens, and your heart cries out for justice for the nurse, doesn't it? And God is the judge, and he's just, and he has mercy. 
And these things are not as easily thought of as they, we think they should be. And a lot of times we just say, oh, I just want God just to be love. And then that would be easier. But he's just. He is the judge of the world. He has a standard. Read verse 9 with me. <clears throat> In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. What is love? How do you define it? God is love, right? Oh, God's love. And we, we get you know, T-shirts made of that. God is love. How do you define it? And John defines it for us. By this, love was made manifest. We can actually see it. We can actually see him. It's, it's Jesus Christ who walked in the flesh amongst us. This is what love looks like. It's Jesus. How, how do you define love? What do you think? If you think about Jesus, what does that mean? Yes. Yeah, real love, thank you for speeding up our discussion. That was good. <laughs> real love, though, is not just a gushy stuff. It's, it's actually sharing life. It's actually submitting your life. It's counting other people better than yourself. It's sacrificing yourself for someone else. Jesus said it this way. It, and it's teaching others, true. But Jesus said it this way, love has no greater thing than a friend who would lay down his life for another. But God, verse 10, did even more. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and gave up his son to be a propitiation for us. Now, that word propitiation is a funny theological word, but people at the time knew what it was. Because everywhere where John is writing this, to all these churches in Asia and churches all over the place, some of them are Jews who knew the sacrificial system. Some of them are Gentiles, are Romans, or Turkish people, or whatever, other ethnicities, who knew about sacrificing to idols. And in the, in the way that you would sacrifice to gods, generally speaking, this idea of propitiation went everywhere. It's defined as doing something that will ease the wrath of a god. That's what a propitiation is. It's a sacrifice that you're going to put on the altar and the Lord will see, or the idol or whatever in their viewpoint, will see this sacrifice and then be happy with me and not be angry with me. And you see this all the time of what people do. So they really want the Cardinals to win. So they go down there by Bush Stadium and they lay their stuff down there by the Stan Musial statue. Right? And I'm going to put my little offering by the idol. And maybe it'll do. I'm just joking, but it's not far from the truth, right? And people try to do this. Here's what we do with God. Ready? Lord, I, I will tithe if you just make this work out. Lord, I know I've been cussing a lot. I'll stop cussing. And I'll really work on my speech if you just do this thing for me. And this idea that's crept into all cultures is that God's wrath is going to be appeased by something we're going to do. The problem is, like David said, all of our work is chicken scratch. It can never measure up. Why can't it measure up? Because God is the creator of the earth. He's the sustainer of all things. He is over everything. He's ruling and reigning, and his kingdom is so big that for you to even walk in his presence, it'll probably kill you because he's so holy. And so you're going to come there and say, Lord, I'll stop doing bad things for you. 
How is that ever going to make it? It won't make it. It doesn't work. So God's solution was to send his own son. God himself became a man on our behalf that he would come down. And this is love. Not that we loved him. We hated him. The Bible says all people have fallen short of the glory of God. No one seeks God. No one wants him. No one wants his holiness. You know what we want to do is manipulate him. Because really, if I had a genie like Aladdin, that would be something. Because I really want to get what I want to get. And I'd do it for good things, though. I mean, if I had all those riches, I'd, do, I'd help people. I'd only get seven houses. The eighth house, I'd like put the poor in there. It'd be great. And this stuff that's in us, it does not measure up to him because God showed what real love is. And real love looks like Jesus Christ, who is God, who made the tree that he will be killed on who sustains the earth by the word of his power. This Jesus, God himself, is going to walk and take the whips of people that he created and knows the secrets of their heart. This is the God who at any moment can call down all his angels to wipe everybody out. This is the God who, by the word of his power, called down the flood that was in Noah's time to wipe out everyone who was unrighteous on the earth. This is the God who was faithful, though, and preserved Noah in that boat because the only way that people could be saved is if God puts them inside something to save them from his wrath. Jesus Christ took that wrath for us. And all the idol worshipers are thinking, well, for a short time, until tomorrow, you know, I won't get hit by a bus. Until tomorrow, you know, God will help me not to lose my job. Until tomorrow, the electric will stay on and, and, and God will kind of help me out. And then I'll have to do new things because he's never appeased. And you know what? You're right. God's never appeased because our work's never good enough. But his own son's work. It was fragrant. It wasn't chicken scratch. This is the creator. This is the God who made everything. This is him. Now hanging on a tree. Though he was innocent and had no sin, being killed as a traitor. This is the God of the universe who would cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because the Father, for the first time in history, would turn his back on the Son, of whom he is always bound in the Trinity. And I don't understand that mystery, but it's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's who he is. And the Father would turn away and pour out the same wrath that we saw in Noah's time. But instead of a worldwide flood, the flood of his wrath and destruction would be concentrated on Jesus on the cross. And once for all time, the wrath of God would be satisfied because someone had died who was worthy. Jesus said it from the beginning. God said it from the beginning. If you sin, you will surely die. The punishment for the just God was not just bad things happening to us. It was not just getting fired from work. It was not just, you know, having kids get sick. It was not problems in our family. It's death. And Jesus took it for us. He's the propitiation. He's the only one who could satisfy the wrath of God. But he didn't stay dead. Everybody dies. He didn't stay dead. Three days later, he rises to life. And suddenly... It's revealed, this is God. He's the king of the world. He, though he died, he lives? How is this possible? And now God has created a new ark of safety for you. That the only way to survive God's wrath is to be in something. And now instead of a boat, you have to be in Christ. 
And if you're in him, the propitiation for all things, not only is God's wrath satisfied, but now his favor is poured out on you to become his child and his son. This is why John starts with beloved, because God has called you and loves you as his child. And more than that, ready? The bride of his son who has conquered all things. You get to be the bride he is waiting for. No person in the world other than a young lady, has as much angst as a young man who's about to get married. <laughs> angst. Because your whole world is directed at desiring to be with this person. And the bride, too. Don't get me wrong, right? She's, all her feelings are relevant. But he's, he's so excited. And God has already earned you his bride. The Lord looks on you as his beloved, the one for whom he would die. The one for whom he would sacrifice his own life because, ready, he loves you. And he's still just, and he's still over all things, and he's still the judge. How incredible is this, God? How incredible is this? This is love. Not that we loved him, but that he loved us and gave his son for us. And now you are made into the bride of Christ. Wow, God is good. Verse 12 says this. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God abides marriage relationship in us and us in him. There's a litmus test for what it looks like to be the bride, for what it looks like to be in him, safe in the ark of who he is. How do we get there? We get there by faith. He's going to tell us that in a minute. We're going to read on and he'll tell us. We believe in him. We believe in Jesus, the son of God who died and rose again. And by faith, God does a great work and puts us into the ark, puts us into Christ, where we're in him, we belong to him, we're changed by him, we're not what we used to be. He makes us a new creation, and we are his forever, and everything changes, and now I'm his child and I'm his bride, and I can't even contain it because it's so much and it's so good, and all I can do is come to church and sing songs. And it's, but it's more than that. Because now the litmus test is, do you love other people? Because if God is love, and that love looks like the self-sacrifice of Jesus, and he is indwelling you, and he is abiding with you, cleaving with you, that you are his, then his love and his values and his seed that grows spiritually in the bride, because women are baby-making machines, and church, you're a woman, his woman. Now that grows into this oak tree of love for other people. And it's demonstrated in, this is what my king is like. This is what my husband is like. This is what he talks about. And it just births these things in me to love other people. And that's all the guys in the room are like, oh, okay. When are we going to get to like Jericho falling down? That'll be easier. But the reality is the way of our life now demonstrates the great victory of this king who has conquered all things. And it looks like love for other people. Sometimes that love is telling the truth. Sometimes that love is defending from other people. And, you know, I'm not saying we don't fight. We fight, but our fight is not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and powers. Sometimes that looks like a violence to it. Jesus was that way. But it looks like Jesus everywhere we go. And it looks like telling the truth and seeing restoration and, and laying down our lives for other people. Because we're not him, but he is in us. That's an incredible thing. So then we go on, and we look at these different passages that he's just told us. How do we know we abide in him? We testify to him. We confess that he is the son of God. 
We've come to know and believe that the love that God has for us because he's filled us with his spirit. He's made us his. He's indwelled us. We love others because he first loved us in verse 19. If anyone says, I love God, but he hates his brother, he's a liar. That's strong language, isn't it? Especially in church, you're not supposed to judge people that way. But the truth is, and this is the litmus test for our own hearts, if I say I love God, but I can't, I just hate people. (laughs) Something's wrong. How do we change that? We come in repentance. Lord, forgive me. Lord, I want to know you. I believe in you. And the Holy Spirit changes us. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. He changes us. He conforms us to look like Jesus. And suddenly the very thoughts of our king, those things get birthed in us, the new baby-making machine. And we suddenly are just living in all that God's called us to. These are good things. You know, um, I, somebody was in movies and made this really famous and all that stuff. Um, what's your favorite part in weddings? When you attend a wedding, what's your favorite part in attending the wedding? The cake. <laughs> yeah, when you hear them, that's beautiful, right? Writing your own vows. When the groom sees the bride. There's something special about the bride walking down the aisle, right? I, I'm, listen, I'm human too. Your bride walks down the aisle, they're up there, and you're like, okay, when's this going to be over? That was awesome, but all right, let's get it. Okay, songs, candles, all right, let's go. You know, there's this, it's party time, you know, like it's, you feel like, but there's something just, she walks down the aisle, it's majestic, it's special, isn't it? What a great moment that is. It's good. Don't you think God gave us that just as a picture? His love for us, of our love for him, this idea of abiding is so good. But sometimes marriage gets hard. Sometimes things get difficult. I, um, I have found that the lies are always the same. Here's the lies. We got married too young. You know, I didn't really know you like I probably should have. Really, you know, if we had more time together and we had waited, it probably would have been better. Really, you know, our goals are different and kind of just go in different directions. Actually, I think I'm holding you back. Or you're holding me back. Because I'm supposed to accomplish things, and I can't do it with you. I'm just bored. I wonder what that girl from eighth grade is doing. I'll check Facebook. But this progression that I'm telling you, I've sat with a lot of couples. Maybe right now you're like, get out of my head. I've sat with a lot of couples who are fighting and things going bad, and I'll say, here's what the devil's telling you. These are the lies that you're listening to right now. We just were too young. We really, there wasn't confirmation that this should have worked from the beginning. And that's the enemy, and he's lying to you. And I cannot tell you how many times people have looked at me like, how do you know that? Because it, it's, it's always the same stuff. What happens in the Christian walk? God's calling us. We're his. He sacrificed for us. And here comes the devil. Ah, you believed that when you were young. Look at life. Is that true? Maybe there's something better out there. Maybe he's holding you back. Maybe you're holding him back. Maybe if you found a new church, that church would actually do better. You know, maybe, maybe you should find what God's really called you to. Maybe he has something better. I wonder what that girl's doing from eighth grade. And all of a sudden, you, you fall into these patterns of thought and sin that go weird ways. 
these things happen to us. What does John say to us? Let's read on. Chapter 5, verse 1. He says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. You know, Jesus demonstrated his love for us, that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. Self-sacrifice. But also, simultaneously, in a way that's not just directed at us, human-centric, he obeyed every word of the Father to death, trusting that even the Father would raise him from the dead. Jesus, who is fully God, knew what he was going to do and suffered the wrath for our sin because the Father asked him to. So there's this element that if we're going to be like Jesus, if we're going to demonstrate real love, we're going to follow his commandments because that's what Jesus did. It's not just being self-sacrificial. It's following him. You know, the Bible really, more and more I'm convinced of it, sin is just selfishness at the end of the day. And Jesus is radically selfless, radically selfless. And at the end of the day, the angst that we often feel is our own selfishness coming up to say, no, I want it this way. I don't want to take up my cross and follow you. I want you to put me on a pedestal because that would be better if I'm your bride. Treat me like it. And then we suddenly start thinking, why? I don't even know if God loves me because yesterday my friend found $20. He just found it in his pocket left over from his jacket last year. What the heck? I reached in my pocket. You know what I found? A bill left over from last year. I forgot to pay it. Now it's double. I don't even know if God loves me anymore. And here's John. How do you know? By this we know, verse 2, that we love the children of God, that when we love him, we obey him. Verse 3, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God, ready, overcomes the world. And those lies, God, I don't know if he really loves me. I was too young. I'm not sure. I don't know if this faithfulness thing is working out. I seem to be following the commandments, and it seems like everybody else is prospering. What the heck? Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Those, that's the world. It's not from him. Verse 4 continues, and this is the victory that has overcome the world. Ready? Our faith. Because what happens when it seems like everything is going bad because everything is going bad? What happens so when our brothers and sisters who are in places like Pakistan and India, people in Afghanistan, are being hauled out of their homes for their faith? And then we're upset because God didn't give me 20 bucks. What overcomes the world? It's our faith. Let's put it in perspective. If we're supposed to emulate Jesus, what did he do? He died in faithfulness to God on the cross for his enemies. And the reality is that that's the spirit that's birthed in you that grows into this fruit of righteousness that he has called you to be his. And it looks like starting the very little seeds of it, loving one another. And it's the litmus test. Is God doing a real work in me? Do I really belong to him? And if you have faith, if you can say, I believe in the Son of God. I know he died for me. I know he rose again. I trust him. And everything seems to be falling apart, but I trust him. Then I'm telling you, I'm telling you from the word of God, you are his. You are birthed in God. 
Trust him. Believe him. Stand on his word. Let 1 John meditate in your heart until it births in you a love for Jesus that's both self-sacrificial, but that's rooted in him and his power. It's not that we loved him, but that he loved us. Our whole life is rooted in his power to do all the things that he has commanded us. Because our chicken scratch, we didn't talk about that this morning, by the way, but it's just, I think the Holy Spirit gave it to us. That chicken scratch that we offer is not enough apart from him. But with him, with him, oh, it's so good. And he does great things. God is so good. Why am I preaching this to you today? Here's what, how 1 John ends. Chapter 5, verse 5, he says, Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? You know, there's only one way to be saved. Belief in Jesus Christ. There's only one way to be changed. There's only one way to see restoration, and it's Jesus Christ. Risen from the dead, ruling and reigning. I'm telling you this today because we live in a time where everyone wants to let selfishness be unbridled. Where everyone wants to tell you that God is love without also telling you that he's just. With also, also telling you that he has a standard. With also telling you that he was himself in his son, the propitiation for our sins. Everyone wants to tell you that you can do whatever you want and it's fine because God doesn't really care. And I'm here to tell you God cares. And if you don't know him, if you're not in him, if you can't say, I believe in Jesus, if you've not bowed the knee to him and said, Lord, my life is yours, then you are in danger of coming before a holy God and you will not live. You will not. The Bible tells us that we're all going to be raised to dead one day. Some people for eternal life with God, some people for eternal judgment. Don't be on that side. If there's anything in you that says, I, I, I think I might believe, come to Jesus and say, Lord, I trust you. And he will open your eyes completely. And it will change your whole life. Our lives are his. And the way we love other people matters. I have a new neighbor who just moved in. I haven't met them yet. And it struck me that I don't really know most of my neighbors well. I know them. I've met them. I've talked. And recently, the neighbor kid across the street, uh, there are two boys, have started just coming to play. So they have a new younger baby. And I love it. It's great. Um, and the boys have some challenges. And they're great. They're great boys. And so they are um, super excited to come and do stuff with my kids. And they sort of just, you know how you have kids in your neighborhood just show up in your house? And you're like, oh, hey, ho, hello. It's like kind of like that. But I love it. I love it. Maybe Lisa. I don't know. But anyway, it's, but it's great. And I'm suddenly confronted with, am I loving my neighbors well if I don't even really know their names? No, I'm not. Am I loving the body well? It's the only time we ever see each other is Sunday morning. This is why I told you at the beginning, write down a verse, text it to somebody. Let's have real lives that really reflect the love of God. If I just don't care about the poor at all, if I just don't care about people hurting at all, if every time I see somebody who's really struggling, my first thought is, how can I get away from this situation instead of what would Jesus call me to do now? Let's reassess our hearts. And it starts with, Lord, let the love that you have, that self-sacrificial propitiation love, flow through me, albeit imperfectly, that I might do something great for you, at least to tell somebody the truth. Because the great commission of our Lord is make disciples. Teach them everything that I've taught you. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And if we're not doing that, are we following his commandments? And I'm saying this to mature people, but I'm also saying this to all of us who want our lives to count. 
to matter, to do something. Because God has called us to a great mission, a great kingdom, a great plan that he has for the earth. And it involves us that we get to do great things for God that are not according to our expectation. How incredible is that? Wouldn't you rather know the favor of God shining on you as your son because you actually made him something? Here, Lord, even in the chicken scratch, you come up, Lord, I did this for you. I loved my neighbor. I I didn't do it well. I I, um, I don't know. I, I think I said the wrong things, but maybe you can use it. Here you go. How much more will God use a people like that than ones who are just really comfortable to watch Netflix all day or whatever? And that's what the world is telling us. Believe the lies. Do you know God really loves you? It's so much easier here. Disney Plus, Hulu, Package, ESPN, you're good. You never need to leave. It's great. If you get bored with that, Netflix, Wi-Fi's going. This world, that's what you want. It's comfortable. It's easy. You never have to talk to anybody. You just call DoorDash. People deliver everything they want to you. You're totally insulated. Take 10 pictures, throw one up on Facebook. Everybody will think you're doing great. No big deal. But then in the middle of the night, you know the truth. Right? This is real life. And that is the world. And people are literally dying to know him. And God shows the means by which they will know him is a people who will exude with his love. Not because we loved him, but because he loved us and sent his son for us. Amen? Musicians, can you please come forward? We're going to sing a final song. If you all stand with me, let's just take a moment in prayer. Let's respond to 1 John. And just give the Lord our, the fruit of our lips to say we love you, we need you. And then we're going to sing together. I'm going to start us and then anyone else can pray. Are you ready? Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you, Lord, that you, O oh God, sent your son who suffered the wrath for us. But Lord, thank you that he didn't stay dead. Thank you that he rose again. And now because he, our bridegroom, Lord, thank you that you have made us his that his own inheritance, his own joy, his own righteousness is given to us, Lord, it's more than we can take. Lord, we want to abide with you in every way. Strengthen in our hearts, Lord, our conviction that we know you. Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, demonstrate to us, not just with $20 in our pockets, but Lord, by righteousness, peace, and joy in your Holy Spirit, demonstrate to us, Lord, your kingdom, that we are yours, and Lord, that you are ours. Father, we bow our knee to you. We say, Lord, we love you. Lord, we love you. We want to honor you. We want to bow in every way and see you glorified. And Lord, with our neighbors, with our friends in church, Lord, with people at work, with people at the schools our kids go to, everywhere we go, Lord, let them know that we are married to you. Lord, we are yours. We are your bride. And there's that day coming, Father, when you, oh God, are going to rush down the aisle toward us. How incredible, Father, that you will come down to us. Lord, we are so excited to see brides walk toward the groom, but Lord, you, the groom, coming to us, we can't hardly contain it. Thank you, Lord. Come quickly, we pray.